Uh, I'm going to finish up my uh, sermon series today called Fix It. We've kind of, uh, you know, home repairs happen in the winter, and we think about also making changes to our life, and we've talked through some different changes that we can make, some, some flips in our life uh, from this habit to that habit, from this mindset to that mindset. And I'm going to finish that up today uh, talking about from lies to truth. From lies to truth. And what we're really doing today is introducing um, a concept that I'm going to spend next month on. Because next month I'm going to, I'm going to talk about um, lies we believe. That's the series for next month. And we're going to, we're going to just kind of open up this idea of, of learning to be aware of our thoughts. And um, uh, being able to, to challenge our thinking with truth. And so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start that off today. Um, from, from lies to truth. Uh, now, to get that started, I, I want to talk a little bit about a, a subject material that's always fascinated me. I've always been um, fascinated by the power of the mind, uh, how the mind affects so much of our lives and, and our thinking can, can have such power over us. And so there's this idea of, of placebo. <clears throat> and I remember reading about placebo when I was in high school and was utterly fascinated at the concept that by thinking something is helpful, it will probably do things uh, good for you, even, uh, even if there's no reason for it to. So here's some examples. There's a, and I, I get the name wrong all the time, um, uh, Henry Beecher. Okay, he was a World War II medic. And uh, you imagine the chaos of he's in this, you know, this, this medic tent and there's, there's soldiers that are wounded all around and, and he runs out of morphine. Meanwhile, he still has dozens and dozens of soldiers that are just in agonizing pain and he has no more morphine. So he, um, he gets a saline drip going with just you know, whatever's in that kind of uh, water solution and he tells the soldiers a therapeutic lie. He tells them that it's morphine. 40% of those soldiers reported feeling better, getting relief from their agonizing pain from what they believed to be morphine. So they believed that they were getting morphine, and 40% of those soldiers reported that it actually, um, that it actually was working on their, um, on their pain. Um, and then maybe you have stories like that. Like I, I remember um, when I was growing up, I got a lot of sinus infections, a um, couple a year, but there was always one a year that was really going to you know, knock me for a loop, like didn't want to get out of bed, just <clears throat> absolute misery. And so that would be the one where we'd go to the doctor. I never understood why they couldn't just give me a prescription, but I'd always go to the doctor and um, I'd go in and I would hear the words, like I always, you always wanted the words, okay, this is a sinus infection, here's your, here's your prescription for penicillin. I almost felt better just from getting, okay, I know I'm going to get a prescription. So I'd go home and um, wait and wait and wait for my mom to get back from the drugstore with penicillin. And as soon as I would pop that penicillin, you would just feel this instant, oh, I feel better Right Now, there's no way that penicillin had an immediate effect. In fact, some doctors uh, debate whether or not uh, antibiotics even help a sinus infection. But the placebo was so powerful because I expected 
that this was going to make me better, that I felt an instant relief from penicillin, the power of the mind. One of my favorite stories I read, because it, it, it's, it's interesting just to, to take some time online and, and read about uh, you know, doctors and uh, the, the stories of placebo. A doctor was talking about, um, he was, he was uh, obviously, if you, I, I would assume, if you're a doctor, your family comes to you for their medical needs, and he had a niece who um, was, was frustrated at her insomnia and, and asked him for a, a prescription for her insomnia and he went and he got a piece of candy. And he said, I actually, you know, I have this, uh, uh, apparently it's a true story, I, I have this, this uh, I actually have here what you need. So she took it and she, she went home, she took it before bed. She got back within the next day a little frustrated. She's like, I don't know what you gave me, but it knocked me out all night into the next day and I'm still groggy. Can you cut the dosage down on whatever you, you but that's, that's the power of placebo. Like it is well documented. What we think has tremendous power over what we experience. Now, <clears throat> there's also the nocebo concept, which means that our thinking can also produce tremendous negative results as well. And a lot of times we can go off the rails believing the wrong kind of thing, and it can produce a lot of misery in life. I'll give you an example. In 2009, I made a sizable transition from being like youth associate pastor to uh, senior pastor here. And, and I, uh, I had, you know, my mentors meant so much to me in, that, in, in those seasons because I, I really, not that I know what I'm doing now, but I really didn't in 2009. And my, one of my, one of my um, most beloved, uh, impactful, if that's a word, mentor uh, from River Tree, my home church down in, in Maslin, Canton, huge church, thousands of people. Um, he's a big deal. And I, I had scheduled, he was going to drive up to Fairlawn uh, at Panera, and I was going to meet him at 9.30 a.m. <clears throat> and I got you know, into whatever, and all of a sudden it's 9.30, and my phone, uh, I get a text. Uh, Fairlawn, Panera, or did we get our singles, uh, signals crossed? And I was like, oh, I just blew off my, my mentor. And I called, and I was, kicked me right to voicemail. I called again while I'm driving. took me about 16 minutes to get to Farallon. Should have taken at least 22. I'm flying down 18. Um, get there, he's gone. Still no response. Not responding to texts. Not responding to calls. I've clearly infuriated my mentor. I've lost, I've lost my reputation with my home church, which a lot of my mentors came from that church. You know, all the all the connectivity, all the it's just. I, plus, he was my one of my pastors growing up. I they just you know in my head, he's snubbing me. He's mad. He's kicking me to voicemail. He's not responding to anything. I, you know, all evening, all night, I was a wreck. Next morning, I get a phone call from him, and he says, "Hey, uh, missed you yesterday." And I was like, "I know." And I went through my whole spiel that I had like you know literally probably three thousand times from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. going through what I'm going to say when I do get to talk to him. Am I going to drive down there to the church and go to his office? 
what do I got to do to patch this up? And he said, I, you know what? I, I, I sent you a te- that text and then my phone died. And I just decided to go for a walk in nature and for, prayed and I just needed, the, I was actually kind of glad that it didn't work out because I really needed the break to just walk and pray and think. And so, uh, no big deal, when can we reschedule? And I remember just sitting there like, incidentally, what will be on my tombstone, the phrase, all that worry for nothing, okay, that, that will be there on my tombstone someday, but that was one of those instances where I was just like, all that worry for nothing. Maybe you have, have had those moments where like, uh, where you just, you know, so the lie that I believed is, your mentor is done with you. He's furious. And that then led to misery. Maybe for, for some of you, you know, you get that short one-sentence email from the boss. Tomorrow, I need to talk with you about something in, um, in my office, first thing. Which, incidentally, for any kind of a peacemaker personality, like me, the cruelest thing you can ever do is say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Oh, my gosh. Like, that will, even, even if I don't know you, even if I don't like you, something like that just sends you off the rails. But you get this email, one sentence, need to see you tomorrow in my office, um, talk to you about something, and you just start like, oh my gosh, they, they found out I took those three paper clips. <laughs> they know I took the red stapler. Um, you know, I, I, uh, they're downsizing. I might as well take my box and, you know, just show up at the office with my resignation letter. They're not going to fire me. I quit. Whatever, you go, you know, you lose your night of sleep and you go in in the morning and you go and you're, you know, she barely looks up from her phone and it's like, we're doing light gray in the offices, is that okay? You know, something like that, then you're like, seriously? Um, Four bottles of Tums later and then this is what, you know, like a case of Pepto-Bismol and this is what you got for me, paint. But we, 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 we believe these lies and our brain just goes off the rails. And, and one of the things that I've learned uh, in a walk with God is, um, like there's a part of a walk with God that's believing the right stuff, and it's very important. And there's a part of a walk with God that's like generous living and just treating people well. But then there's another level of a part with God, and that's realizing how much of, of, of spiritual growth and progress is tied up in our, in our heads. So let me talk with you a little bit about that. Um, I'm going to read to you, and again, we're just kind of opening things up today for next month's sermon series. This month we talked, you know, from from to four, like instead of doing things or, you know, what can I get from people, we're talking about what can I do for people. And then uh, from it's mine to it's all God's, today it's from lies to truth. 
So this is Ephesians 6. It's, it's the Apostle Paul. He's writing, to, writing a letter to a group of Christians in Ephesus. And he's kind of closing. He's winding, on, he's winding down the, the letter. He says, Finally, <clears throat> be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put, the whole, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's schemes. Schemes. Like, you know, mental. That's, that's a scheme. It's a, it's, a, it's a mental thing. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Kind of spooky. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So for Paul, there's this thing of, of, of he calls it like this present darkness. Uh, talks about, you know, like, like, a, like spiritual forces. Very real belief in Satan, the devil, demons, the demonic, darkness, spiritual darkness, and schemes that require us to sort of arm ourselves spiritually. So that what I want you to take away from here is that Paul seems to think here that there is a spiritual battle, that it's, that it's scheming in nature, so it's maybe more mental, and that it affects you and it affects me. So it wasn't just him saying, like me, a church leader, Paul, the, the leader of the, of the ancient church, he had this. He's telling them, you need the armor, okay, because this battle is real. Now he goes on, <clears throat> and for me, this takes it up another click, okay? 2 Corinthians 10. Different letter, different time, different group of, of Christians. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Look at the similarities here. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, I think that anything in Scripture, even mentioned once, is important in truth. But sometimes you'll see these things that appear to be talking points. Like this is two different letters, two different years, <coughs> two different moments in time, when Paul writes essentially the same thing. So that tells me that he probably has in his mind like a riff that he shares with Christians. And one of his riffs that's important to him is for us to understand that there is a dark battle around us and it's fought largely in our minds. Now, there's, there's, some, there's some lies to, to, to notice here and some truth to, to um, uh, counter those lies with. And, and so one of the things, Gallup poll, the polling people, um, they say that 70% of Americans believe in Satan. 
Now that kind of, that number, I, I feel like that might be a little high. But let's just say that, that 70% do. That means 30% believe that, that, that Satan, demonic, dark forces, whatever, that that's like ancient myth and not relevant to modern life. So that tells me that, that there's a pretty big lie out there according to Scripture but I'm guessing that even people who believe that there is a, a devil or Satan, my guess is most of them have their ideas primarily from like the exorcist and horror flicks. And when they think about the demonic, they're thinking about like, you know, pea soup, um, projectile vomiting and head spinning and levitation, uh, things like that. Um, but I think that's a lie. Because while I've seen enough to know that stuff is out there, and I, you know, I've seen enough to know that I, I am a believer in that stuff, what I see from Paul and from a wealth of ancient Christian writings outside of the Bible, um, not only did they believe it was relevant to us, they, they, they believed that it was, that it was a, a prominent part of life, um, they believed that, that it was mental almost exclusively. Like, you're probably never going to see somebody levitate. You're probably never going to see somebody speaking in another voice or crawling across the ceiling. Those kinds of things. But Paul talks about taking thoughts captive. Paul talks about uh, schemes. Paul talks about... Uh, Understanding what's against the knowledge of God, a knowledge thing. And then when you look at the ancient Christians, they talk about the importance of noticing every thought. Because for them, the battle is fought almost exclusively in our mind. Why? Because what we've seen with placebo and nocebo and everything else, the mind has tremendous power to manifest in our lives, okay? So let me go back again real quick, 2 Corinthians 10. We are not waging war according to the physical, the flesh. <laughs> we destroy arguments. See, this is an intellectual thing. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. <clears throat> so what I hope you leave here with today, when I'm done with all this, so I'd love for you to say, yes, I believe. Even if you don't believe it, understand what God's word says, okay? At least you'll know that God's word says it. But I hope you'll believe it. That there are dark forces in the world it's nothing for you or I to be afraid of. Greater is he that is in us. That's what the scriptures say. There's no fear. If you moved over into fear, you're out, of, you're, you're out of line right there. There's no fear in this. But there's awareness. There's respect for this. Because what scripture says is there is clearly a battle in your mind for your growth or your habits or your addictions. And, and what I've seen now, um, you know, 30-some years into trying to follow Jesus, um, it's primarily in the mind. And um, um, there's a lot of Christians that worry a lot about getting the beliefs right and getting the lifestyle right. But very few make the trans transition 
into understanding how powerful this concept is. That, that, that when, when Satan and his whatever are going to mess with you, it's, it's, it's almost, this is almost all real spiritual growth. Like to really get somewhere in a place of wisdom and inner peace um, and impact. It's a lot mental. So, I want you to believe in the battle and begin the regular practice of finding lies in your thoughts and misperceptions in your thinking and replacing them with God's truth. Now, just a blanket statement. If you're going to do that, it's going to require a lot of Bible reading. right? How can you know God's truth if you're unfamiliar with the Bible? So just ready, go. Start reading scriptures, especially the teachings of Jesus, um, for truth. And understand, this is my truth source. And, and you're going to see right here, this is our example. I'm going to read to you from, this is, this is from Luke 4. Uh, this is, this is um, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And our example, Jesus, is going to show us how to do what I'm talking about today. Okay? And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now understand right there, this little bonus material, it's not in my notes and it wasn't in the first service, so how lucky are you guys? Temptation is not the problem. Jesus was tempted. And being tempted means that you actually consider doing something. There is nothing wrong with being tempted. It's how we respond to the temptation. So first of all, this is what a great example Jesus is, how approachable Jesus is, how incredible it is that God took on flesh. He was tempted just like us. So temptation is not the problem. But look at how Jesus handles temptation. He ate nothing for those 40 days, and when, he, uh, when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now imagine this. You know, I was in the Jordan. Um, I was in, not the Jordan, but I was in the um, Israeli desert. Okay. And as, as incredible as it was to be there, all I really wanted was to get back on the bus. It was really hot. And there were rocks. There are, like it wasn't the sand desert like you think of. There are rocks as far as the eye can see. Bread-sized rocks. It must have looked like, like Panera in the morning when, when Satan said, hey, here you go. Turn this into and turn. It must have been overwhelming. Um, uh, just the spread of, of a bakery in front of Jesus when you look at the rocks that are in uh, the Israeli desert. And, um, um, and Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Um, that's scripture. So Jesus responds to them to, to the temptation. Uh, with, with Scripture. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and, and, uh, and their glory, for it has been delivered to me 
and I will give it to whom I will. <coughs> if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So what does Jesus do again? He quotes with scripture. He understands the lie and he quotes scripture to, to counter that lie. And he took him to Jerusalem, the hub of the religious world of Jesus' day. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, see what Satan does? For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against stone. So what does Satan do? Satan quotes Scripture. Talk about scheme, right? Satan is quoting truth. Misquoting it, but quoting truth. And Jesus answered him, it is written, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the, devil had, when the devil had ended uh, every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So with that last line there, the author wants us to understand that Satan is opportunistic. Uh, but look at the, the, look at the schemes there, and we're going to talk in a few months more. I think I'm going to come back to that and look at some of the different schemes of those temptations, which are very relevant to our everyday battles uh, that we face but in, 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 they're, they're not only like opportunistic schemes, but he was even willing to, to quote Scripture. And had Jesus not been aware of truth from God's Word, he could have heard what seemed like truth and what essentially was truth from God's Word, but mis, misused. Mis, and so what I, what I want you to see here is that Satan led with lies. He didn't throw... Um, you know, he didn't shoot fire at Jesus or, or throw pitchforks at him or, or, you know, try to possess him or whatever we might think about on those horror flick kind of levels. <clears throat> he didn't start throwing rocks at Jesus. It was all mental. And it was pretty crafty. And Jesus countered the lie with the truth. So that's what we're going to spend the rest of my time. Uh, just just kind of, so here's the model. Practice number one, hopefully the foundation is you believe now, uh, you believe the scriptures that there is a battle out there, and maybe there's more going on in your brain, maybe every thought you have uh, you didn't originate with you, and maybe you're even acting on some, some thoughts and assumptions that you didn't even make intentionally, they're just, they're just there, in, in, they're there because of this, this battle. So here's, here's habit number one is just... Notice every thought. Try to start thinking about your thinking. Notice every thought. And this is one where when you look at, um, uh, there's this, there's this um, thick, uh, it's four thick books, uh, collaborations from ancient monks that lived in caves called the, the, the Desert Fathers, called the Phyokalia. It's riveting uh, reading that you're sure to uh, capture the attention at your next dinner party, um, to, quoting from, from the... But, but the, 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 these monks, <clears throat> you, you would think that when you move away from 
the known world and, and hurl, curl up in caves and pray and fast all day. Uh, it wouldn't have much to talk about, but they're, they're one, of their, one of their prime subject matter, some of their most used subject matter, is this concept of being aware of the presence of Satan in their thoughts and noticing every thought. Like, like, and I'm fascinated by that because you would think the more you pray and the more you fast, the more you are in tune with the spiritual realm. And the thing that they seem most fixed on, fixated on, is this mental battle. And, and their, their advice is always the same. <clears throat> Notice every thought. So that's thing number one. It's just start to, st- start to commit to, I'm going to think about my thinking when, when I have a, a negative thought, an anxious thought, um, uh, a mean thought, or, or when I do something that I'm upset with myself, that I go back, first of all, and approach it as, what was I thinking or what were the assumptions behind this behavior, okay? And, especially, like, and, and listen, I'm not Mr. Inner Peace, Okay, I, I work hard at it, um, but, but I, I, I battle with a lot of, of, of anxiety. It just, I, I just do. Okay, I would love, to, love to, to be something beyond that, but, but a lot of just simple, frustrating, anxious thoughts. So I'm not coming to you as someone who has this whole negative thinking conquered. But one of the ways that we make progress is by noticing the thoughts that create the anger, the lust, the anxiety, the, the negativity, the whatever. Okay, so, so notice thoughts. Then, <clears throat> then <clears throat> replace it with truth from Scripture. Replace it with truth from Scripture. So let me give you some examples. <clears throat> Let's say you're at UXL or Planet Fitness or whatever your inclination, and and you are, you know, you're on the bike or the elliptical or whatever, and a young lady walks by in a form-fitting outfit, and you know, or a young man walks by in a hopefully not a form-fitting outfit. Dudes don't do that in the gym. <clears throat> If you wear a form-fitting outfit in the gym as a dude, you need to stop. There's no place for that. Um, but you notice, because you're human. And maybe you're at a place where you even, you even notice that you're not really noticed that you notice. Like, you can, you can stare if you want for a while. You can enjoy. And, 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 and then you, you sort of realize, okay, this probably isn't a good thing especially if you're married, and, um, and you begin to think, okay, well, you know what? I'm uh, not hurting anybody. I can look as long as I don't touch, I don't flirt, I don't take it anywhere. Just enjoying the scenery of the gym. But you're aware that the scriptures say in Timothy that you need to treat ladies like sisters and mothers with all holiness, and you know that the scriptures say that. That's truth. And so now you're at the place where you can label the lie because you've thought about your thinking. Or let's say it's gossip. 
and you were just out with some friends and, and you know, whoever the person was that wasn't there, their name came up and everybody just went around and let them have it. And you're, you know, you're driving home and you know that, man, why did I engage in that? Or maybe you're driving to uh, the, the gathering and you have a juicy bit of gossip and you're kind of going back and forth. If I'm not going to share that, oh, but I might share that. And, and, and you start to mine that because that's a negative thing and you mine that for what's the underlying thinking. And one of the things you may be assuming, first of all, is I need the approval of this group. That's often one of the lies that we believe that leads us to gossip is I need the approval of this group. Another lie is it's not going to get back to them what you said. Like there's another lie that, that, that gossip tends to... But you, or or, or um, uh, whatever, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm mad at them because they said this about me and I'm going to... But, but you know, you've now thought, what's the lie? It's okay to get revenge. I'm just getting even. Maybe that's the lie. But you know Scripture, which, which says that you know, we don't take revenge on our enemies or our connection with God. God is our shepherd. God is our, is our identity. We don't need the approval of human beings. It's an audience of one. It's us and God. And, that's all. and, and so, so now you have noticed the problem, thinking, behavior, whatever, and you have replaced that with God's truth. Reminder, they can only do that when, uh, when you are familiar with Scripture. Okay, so now you've noticed the lie. You have replaced it with truth. And then the third level, and this is next level stuff here. You renounce it. And here's what I mean by that. And this is a very powerful habit. I would love to say I'm better at it. I'm working on it, Okay. You re- go beyond just making the connection. You make the connection, that's a good insight, but you, nothing really ever happens. You go the next, and, and whether you speak it out loud, like I wouldn't do this if I was in Planet Fitness, but whether you speak it out loud or it's to yourself, uh, you, you talk to yourself, you talk to God, talk to Satan if you need to, in the con- include him in the conversation, and it's, I recognize that I gossiped, that I stared I recognize that I believe this lie. I renounce that. If you want to amp it up and go charismatic, I renounce it in Jesus' name. I want to get fancy with it. I renounce that. And I replace that with truth from the scriptures. And then you say that. What's the truth that you're replacing that with? And if you went too far and went beyond temptation, remember, you don't need to confess temptation, that's not sin. But if you go beyond temptation and into sin and confess it, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will cleanse us. But when Paul talks about, remember, taking every thought captive, he also talks about the renewing of our minds, that's, I'm convinced, what it is. That's how you renew your mind. You notice it, you um, renounce it, you replace it. So that's the habit that I would love for you to try that at some point this week if you've never done something like that. Maybe that's way different than anything you're ever used to. I still would love for you to try that. Uh, there's the lie that I'm believing. And then remember, the, February we're going to talk about some of the different lies that we believe. But, but there's the lie that I'm believing. I renounce that. Here's the truth from Scripture. I choose to believe this, and I choose to act accordingly. And if you need to confess something to God, you do that. You receive the mercy that he sends. 
and you move forward, that's a powerful tool in growing spiritually. All right, uh, we're just getting started with this idea of, of from lies to truth. Uh, we're going to do one last song. I want to invite you to stand. And uh, so this is a song that proclaims truth, and that sort of, uh, it's going to be a chance for you to proclaim truth, because ultimately, all that really matters is who God says you are. Don't let your life become a distraction about other things. You need nothing else than the truth of who God says you are, and this will be your chance to, uh, to speak that out loud and think that. Uh, let's pray. God, uh, your word is, is full of good news for us and full of truth, and we're thankful for the blueprint that you've given us. Uh, and We want to live according to truth rather than the misery that lies bring. Uh, so uh, right now, uh, we proclaim that we are. It is true of us. The things that you say are true of us, and we embrace that in Jesus' name. Amen.